Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Battleground Community Church. If you're watching online or whether you're here, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, we're looking in the same text that we looked at last week because we didn't get done. And so we're going to work through. I'm adding verse 5 on on to the text this week uh, just as a connecting verse uh, to to our next section that we'll begin next week. Uh, But we're looking today specifically at the goodness of God. And we could, after the worship and after the music and the and the songs and the message to just read the text and, and call for a response. But we want to hear from God's word today. So let's stand to our feet out of reverence and let's ask him to help us. And not only help us, help those that we love that may be at this point far from Christ. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for gathering us here today and uh, Lord, some are not able to gather today or watching online. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for the ability of technology and the ability of, that you give people to create such things or even what we say today can go out. Not only that, that it can be stored and watched from years to come. It's just amazing, Lord. Even that is grace today. But Lord, help us to understand. Help us not to take your grace for granted in our lives. Bring people to repentance today, maybe for the first time, or or maybe to restore relationships that need to be restored. We give this time to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week in this verse, we looked at the contrasting reality of judgment. That is, man's judgment versus God's judgment. And so this is important. Judgment is the focus in this section, not salvation. Let me say that again. Judgment is the focus of this section, not salvation. So if every time you hear a message here, you just go back to your salvation, you begin to doubt your salvation, I'm not saying you, you shouldn't look at those things. I challenge you to read First John if that's happening in your, in your life. But the focus of this text is judgment. That is coming. And it's coming on everyone. No one is exempt from it. So that should bring up some questions. He asked the questions to the you, to these people in their spiritual pride who think they're okay because they, they are a certain ethnicity or they have a certain background or they've done a certain thing. Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? 
We brought in last week the log and the speck principle of Matthew 7 to show how unreliable our judgment is. The conclusion of this text is when you condemn others, you will face the same condemnation. With the judgment that you give, the judgment you will receive. And so there's a warning and a promise and a truth there. But there's also another contrast between chapter 1 and chapter 2. The contrasts of God giving people over, removing restraint, and the contrast of giving grace. Or as we've been singing today and, and looking at in the text, God giving kindness and goodness and patience. So, what does that look like? I mean, what is God doing? It, it seems to be just think through, most of us can think through our lives. When people have hurt us and God didn't stop it, or God, God people hurt other people and God didn't stop it, and we say God, God's bringing His judgment, and we've prayed for God's judgment, and God's, and God's justice to come to bear. We pray for that now in the Middle East, don't we? So what is God doing? One of the best parenting tips, I can't remember the guy's name. Christina probably does. He, he taught us when we were young parents, delayed justice is still justice. It's a good one. You need to write that down. You'll need that. Your children can remember when you promise them ice cream. Don't they? They can remember too. Better, better to delay justice than to, than to sinfully act against people that we love. But God never acts sinful. And so why he, when he brings his justice out, it's right. It falls, remember this last week, rightly. We want to look at something distinct today. Look at your main idea. You should have a piece of paper that looks like this. If not, they're in the back. You won't bother me if you need to get up and get it. The gospel reveals man's need and God's kindness. So last week we look at man's need. This week God's kindness that calls all to repentance. Just very simple outline today. The reality of God's goodness and the response to God's goodness. I'm using goodness and kindness synonymously today. And we'll look at what that means. First the reality. Let's look at the text Let's start back at verse 3. It says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? That's what I want to talk, think about to start with. That one word, you see it in verse 4? Presume. What does that mean? Oftentimes you use words and we don't really know what they mean, especially in... In, in Christianity, we say things and phrases and words and not sure what they mean. What does that mean to presume on something or someone? It means to think little of it, to look down on it. This is completely connected to what we talked about last week. The root of presuming is pride. The spiritual pride in the Jewish heart that he's talking about when he says you Gets all people, those who rise up and think they deserve something from God just because of something they've done or something they are. He says the root, the fruit that you will bear is this presuming on God's grace. 
This is the world we live in. I've never seen it so epidemic in this world. We live in a world of rights and entitlements. It's cultivated tenfold. We live in an environment of ungratefulness. Where we assume we deserve something from God, other people, and the government. And we are offended when they don't give them to us. We grow up to be angry children that are angry adults. That are miserable employees. It is an epidemic in our day. When it comes to God's goodness, this is important if you're taking notes, there is either an eager expectation or there is ungrateful entitlement. And as I pondered what was the best example of someone who receives ungratefulness and entitlement tenfold throughout their lives and their occupations, it is motherhood. Isn't it? I mean, she can do ten jobs at the same time, and yet she don't wash your blue jeans. And somehow, she's the worst mother in the world, or, or she didn't get you to that 10,000 game that you're supposed to go to. And no thoughtfulness of the, the 200 things that's going on in her head and the management that she's having to do in her job and in her work and in her family with her husband. It's ungrateful entitlement that looks at those that we love and say, why didn't you? The wife works hard and the man works hard and the guy gets home and he just expects that somehow this meal has come all together just by osmosis. Taking for granted that someone had to buy the food and plan the meal and cook the meal and put it all together. It's ungrateful. And it's entitled, and it's sin. And God is saying, you ought to repent. No amens there. Should have got one. Do you freely take God's grace, take it in, and then live as if He doesn't exist? That's what He's getting to. See, we bleed it out in our relationships. But ultimately, if we don't get it right here, we're going to get it wrong out there. We presume on God's grace is what he's saying is we assume it. We neglect it. We treat it like a Ziploc bag that our sandwich is in and we just discard it because there's another one in the pantry anyway. Right? That's, that's what presuming does. Is there's another one. I, I don't think much of a Ziploc bag. He's sitting there going, careful when we treat God's grace that way. You know, the one thing that I've noticed as a parent... And as an employer, and even as a pastor, is presuming on God or others, robs God and others of the joy of generosity. Because neither God nor parents nor employers will bless ungrateful entitlement. It, it robs people of the joy of coming up to something and you want to bless your children and they, be, and they begin to demand it and then pitch a fit because they did not get it. All along the parents were wanting to bless it with them the whole time. How much worse is it when we presume on God's kindness? 
never repenting it, believing that in the end, that at the judgment, God's just going to say, oh, shucks, y'all come on in. The text is teaching us that's not the way it works. But there is kindness and goodness in God that we're seeing today. You see, this kind of presumption leads to a false security. Presuming on God's grace brings that. It, it creates it like the Jewish people have to this day. Who believe because they, they are ethnic Jews and because they are circumcised and because they possess the law. That somehow they're okay. Because I'm a Jew, because I'm a Baptist. Because I own 12 Bibles. That somehow that, we're, that they were okay and that we're okay. One guy called, said it this way, false assurance leads to a baseless tranquility. I love that phrase. A baseless tranquility. I did so and so, so God's blessed my life. Means, I did this, so I deserved it, so God gave it to me. Self-righteousness produces artificial security that will not last and that will not give you peace in a storm. It'll be gone like a bad friend. John, Jeremiah 6, the Jews surrounded themselves with false prophets that would tell them, as the New Testament says, they would scratch their ears. Listen to what he said, Jeremiah 6, verse 14. Speaking about these false prophets, the Jews heaped around themselves. It says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No, they were not at all ashamed, and they did not, they did not even know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the times that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Verse 16 says, thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see, from the old to the new, there's only two paths. Only two paths. This is critical to see first then. Not to presume on God's grace, but to start where... Where God starts at the gospel. So let's do that this morning. Let's see the goodness of God displayed in his gospel. There's any number of places we could go. But go with me to Titus 3. Titus 3. Just a lot in Titus 3 in these few verses. I just loved it. So, And we talk about it. And one of the ways, and I know I've mentioned this before, but whether you're watching online and thinking about visiting us or, or know that me and Micah, talk all week about the text and sometimes for weeks and we swap text about and uh, we see this text as being one of the most important text and clearest text about the gospel. Titus chapter 3 verse 3, the goodness of God displayed in his gospel. Notice this and I'm going to focus on a few things here as we read it. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. What is the next word? Slaves 
to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We used to be slaves to these things. We weren't doing them, putting, trying to put them in the place of God. We did them because we loved them. We were slave to them. They controlled us. We did not control them. Verse 4. But, notice this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Verse 5. What happened? What does it say? He saved us. And He saved us not because of what? Works done by us. It's not how we're saved. We're saved by the goodness and loving kindness of God saving us. He saved us. But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, verse 7, so that being justified by His what? Grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the goodness of God. You did not save yourself. You cannot save yourself. You were a slave. You were dead. You were deaf. You were blind. You couldn't have turned the light switch on if you wanted to. Dead men don't turn the light switches on. Dead people don't make choices. Dead people are dead. We needed the goodness of God to come on us. And appeared to us. And when he did, he saved us. He saved us. He poured it out. Do you see it? We are saved by grace alone. We are regenerated by grace alone. Do you see that? He did it. He did it. It was according to his own mercy that we were regenerated. It was according to his own mercy that we were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. He poured it on us. He didn't sprinkle it on us. He poured us on it. We're baptized in God's grace. And because of that, I am an heir to it all. I'm adopted into the family. A child of the king. That's where it is. That's the goodness of God. And let me tell you something. That'll take you through a storm or two. And when it leaks out, you need to put it back in. And we got to remember, this is the essential, foundational starting point for the Christian life. And we never get tired of rolling around in it. And when we do, then we are ready to think about God's patience. And until we don't, we are not ready for it. You will, you will presume on the goodness of God. And take His grace and His patience for granted on your life, on other people's life. Verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So we're talking about then this fruit of God's grace. The fruit of God's grace is kindness. What is kindness? I like this word, but we don't use it much. Uh, Benevolence. We have a benevolence fund. We use that money that you give. Sometimes we call it James 127 fund. But it's, it's benevolence. It's when one of us and all of us will have this happen at some point in time where something, when we go down or something overwhelms us and we need help. It is the warm-hearted, considerate, gentle, sympathetic fruit of God. If you don't understand God's, that God is being warm and gentle and sympathetic, you know not the God of the Bible. This is God's kindness. 
It's also his forbearance. Another word we don't use that much. But it's another word for patience. It means that God is delaying giving what people deserve. He delays enforcing His right and His privilege as holy God to not have unholy sinful people breathing His air, walking on His world, and scorning the very grace that that He gives them. He, He is forbearing. He's restraining. It is His divine restraint that we have been talking about. This is one thing you do not want God to remove. His forbearance. There's another. He's redundant, but he is for a purpose. So he is forbearing. He's restraining. But he's also, he uses the word patient again here. Do you see it? Now when we think of patience, in one sense, this word means to endure pain or unhappiness. It's it's where the Bible gets that God is long-suffering. Is long suffering. And as it pertains to God, God's endurance. God is not in a hurry because God is accomplishing something. He's accomplishing a plan that is simply greater than what our little peon plans could be. I love me and Christina went to the symphony last night, and one of the things that you notice that she always points out to me is, is the people playing the instruments only have a little bit of music, but the conductor has all the music. And he's flipping them pages, you know, and everybody else is just flipping them slowly. Why? Because the conductor's got to know what's going on with the whole thing. God is patient, not in a hurry. Going to finish it when he finishes it. Hey, I, I was thinking a couple times, are you ever going to get done with this? When is this song going to end? Or, you know, but he, it was his timing. It wasn't my timing. The truth of God's goodness. The truth of God's goodness. I've experienced this, and I'm sure you have. Do you have people in your life that just love to worry? We all got them in our life, don't we? You know what they think? It's just true. If it's you, just you need you need to just you need to just wear these. They fit you probably. We people who worry all the time look at people who don't as careless, apathetic, or even lazy. If they worried like me, they would be more responsible, they would love more, they would work harder. And there again, God's character and God's actions help us to bring tension between those who worry and those who won't get off the couch. So understand today, God's goodness is not a careless overlooking. It is not like some of us who say the the sink has been dripping for six months and, you know, just let it keep dripping. That, That red light on the car that we talked about, that car still runs, so... Just get in and go to work, you know? It's not careless. Like like we sometimes can be. It's careful. So God's goodness, His patience is a careful oversight. I thought about this hymn this morning. It was called, This is My Father's World. 
It was written in the early 20th century. It says, This is my Father's world, all to my listening ears. All nature sings and round me rings. The music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hands and wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. The birds their carol raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that fares. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Mm. Don't forget about those old songs. God's goodness is careful oversight. And that points to His purpose. It is purposeful oversight. I know not a passage that can help us understand more Romans 2, 4 than 2 Peter. So turn with me again. I know we read that a couple weeks ago or so, but let's look at it again. 2 Peter 3, verse 8. Now let me explain where you find your place. The context of this is critical. This, has, this, this passage has been stripped out of its context more times than John 3.16. The context of this passage is suffering believers who are being scoffed because we believe that the Lord is going to return and yet year after year and generation after generation he has not returned. And so people sitting there going, why are you still believing it's Jesus? You believe that he's going to come back. He's not come back. Your parents died. They died. Everybody's died. Everybody's dying. He's not coming. What are you all doing? What are you wasting your time for? And so Peter says, verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that, the, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. Peter is comforting believers here. This is first. Don't, don't strip this out and start turning this into an evangelistic text before you understand the primary purpose of this text is to comfort believers. The you... You could read it this way. The Lord is not the Lord, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but all of you should reach repentance. He is patient toward you. Who is to you? Those who, those who will be saved. He's given hope to Christians that are saved, and yet they're being scorned because God has not returned. And they're being told that God is not going to return. And he says. You need to stop and realize that it is God's patience that brought your salvation. God's got patience. He's patience. That's why you're saved. And it doesn't make any difference how much we want Jesus to come back. Because Jesus is not going to come back to all those He desires to be saved or saved. That's what He's saying. 
And I don't make the news. I just deliver it today. But that was good news. That was comfort to believers to know as God has been patient and delayed his justice so that I could be saved. That's what he's doing today. So though evil seems like it's raining, God is saving and justice is coming. God's patience brings us then endurance. God doesn't function on our timetable with that thousand years it's a day and a day is a thousand years. He's not in a hurry. That's that patience. He's, he's given us then, through this promise, the endurance that allows other people to be saved. Even if we have to suffer. Even if we have to be scorned. Even if evil seems like it's raining for, the, for a period. God's patience brings our confidence. God will save those he desires to save. And God will return on his own timetable when he is ready to return. Until then, God has given us a job to do. God is patient. He is kind. He is long-suffering. But The gospel also not only brings a reality, it brings a response. Response is only to. Again, back to chapter 2. Verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Uh, God's goodness demands our repentance. I know we don't like that word. But an imperative is an imperative. If you don't know what an imperative is, look it up when you get home. That's why you go through school and learn English. An imperative is a command. The purpose of God's grace then. You see it? It's repentance. You see the word? To lead you. That's purposeful. You see it? That's, the way That's why you're here today. That's why God has brought us all together. That's why you're watching online today. He is leading you somewhere. And praise God for it. Instead of going, people get mad at God's sovereignty. I said, you ain't been through enough storms yet. Because if you go through enough and the people you love go through enough, you will pray for God to intervene into their life whether they want Him to or not. Heal them, save them, protect them. Haven't we prayed that over people? He's leading you somewhere. He's leading you to repentance. What is that? Repentance is a frame, not simply of the mind. Repentance is a frame of the mind, the heart, and the will. When the Bible speaks of that, it means the very center of you, the very essence of you, that which everything else comes forth. That's where repentance must happen at. Repentance has two aspects, a positive, you could say it's positive, uh, you could say it's negative and positive. It is. The negative side, as you want to call it that, is a sorrow over sin. Repentance ha- brings with it a brokenness. I was speaking to someone who was struggling over the weekend, and I, and I was telling them that, that it's simply part of the Christian life, even from the very beginning of this moment of repentance, but then as we begin to walk, that as the finite approaches the infinite, the smaller we see ourselves. We get smaller as we get closer to God. 
We don't get, you, you can look at Crowder's Mountain or King's Mountain from 10 miles away and it doesn't look that impressive, but when you get at the base of it, you realize how small you are. God must make you aware of His bigness and our smallness. But the second part of repentance is positive. It is this, what we call conversion. It is that we are putting all of our trust in all of our heart and we are surrendering it to Him as Lord. We're, cha- we're, we're turning from Satan to God, from sin to holiness, from self to Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, 8, just listen, it says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not gr- regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For if you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief just simply produces death. Just for a moment. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Notice all of that character of God that we've talked about flowing into the life of the believer. God may perhaps, listen, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see how powerless people are without God doing something? And that's what we pray for when we pray for God to grant someone repentance, that they may know him, they may be, see him for who he is, and that they may turn and to follow him. This is a repentance that he speaks of in chapter 2 verse 4 that leads to conversion then the purpose of God's kindness his restraint his patience is to bring someone to a genuine state of repentance that leads to conversion that changes everything about that person repentance also has two applications and I think I'm so grateful for John MacArthur here. He was the one who taught me this. I can remember this, learning this principle from him. It was a book, I think, on forgiveness that, uh, that he brought this up, and I thought it was just, just so helpful. But it's the same way when we think about repentance. There's two applications in our life. One is judicial, and one is relational. One happens at one point in time, never happens again. One is your justification before God. There is a point in time to when God shows you who He is and you respond in repentance and faith. As a response to that, you are justified before God. You are not only forgiven, but you are declared righteous. And not only are you forgiven and declared righteous, you are then adopted into a family. Changes everything. He could have justified you and not adopted you. He didn't. And so that begins the second application of repentance. Repentance is relational now. 
for believers. It is part of our sanctification. It is part of, it's part of our life between, with God and other people. When we sin against God, when we sin against others, we do not lose that relationship, we affect it. Our sin offends God still, yes. And it, it, is, it is the same way when we sin against our spouse, or against our parents, or against our children, or against our employer or employees. That relationship is strained, and God calls us to repent and to, and to reconcile that relationship. Does repentance have a part of a believer's life? I hope you see that. It's the relational aspect of repentance given to us as a gift. And it is a normal part of the ebb and flow of a believer's life, their whole life long. But there is another response to God's kindness, and that is non-repentance. There's a, this is a warning of non-repentance. The danger is to, is to see God's goodness, to experience God's goodness and kindness, and yet to say, I will not repent. Non-repentance is costly. That's why I wanted you to see verse 5. It says, because of your hard and non-repentant heart. What that means, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's judgment will be revealed. There is no place for a God that just loves everybody and says, shucks, y'all come on in. There's no place in the biblical text for that. There's no place in the Christian worldview for that. It's not Christian. It's not biblical. What happens if God simply stops working? Hardness. That's what he said in chapter 1. He's saying it again in chapter 2. This is the danger. Non-repentance is costly. What happens in a believer's life when they just get in a state where they don't feel like they have anything to repent of because they just presume on God's grace day in and day out. They just presume on other people's grace and every relationship. Just assuming that that person that you're waking up beside of or that children that you have is always going to be there. It's costly for the non-believer and for the believer. What does it cost? A believer, it costs you what John 10.10 said is the abundant life. That's what it costs. Jesus did not just simply die to get you out of hell. Jesus died so that you could experience something that you could never experience outside of Him. Does your life feel abundant? Is it characterized by peace and joy, a fullness I lay before you this morning two paths and two lives and two destinies. And the Bible says, choose life. Where is the goodness and kindness leading you? It took me back to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. As a result of God's kindness, God's patience, Bringing every, all these children into the house, into the family. This is because of this and because the Lord is going to come back. Those two realities. Look at verse 11. 
It says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, that's what's happening when it comes back, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and heavenly bodies will melt and burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, see the patience? Since you are patiently waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot and blemish and at peace. And count, I love this, this connects, Peter's connecting Paul's letter. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Let me say that again. And count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as our brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Here's Peter saying, hey, you remember what Paul wrote over there about this? It's true. It should orient us toward missions. Toward. Listen, the best resource that I have given you in years is that three circles. And I wonder how many of us have practiced it. It's every situation in your life. We were sitting here praying for for the students in the school systems whose lives are characterized by what? Brokenness. We have a mission to do. We do not need to characterize our life by the worry of the what ifs. But by the work that God has put before us. We must be found being like Jesus. That's what he's saying. The more you do that, the more you will feel the abundant life in your actual life. How are you going to respond today? I don't bring this up often, but I think this is important. Many of us are living with something. For me, it's cancer. For you, it might be something else. It might be something chronic today in your life. Chronic doesn't always have to be physical, amen. It could be any number of things. And these things, and I say this from personal experience, can be a cloud that follows you around your whole life long. That what if? What about the next test? Or what about that next decision that somebody else is going to make? It could be depression that follows you around. And in this text, and what I have found in my life, and I always say this. If you talk to me about it, I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to bring it up first. But the secret weapon for this Christian life, no matter what you are going through, is gratefulness. It's gratefulness. It is the secret weapon for the Christian life. It doesn't matter what the things that's going on in your life that we can't control anyway. We have too many things and too many people in our lives to be grateful for. We have too much grace that God has poured on our life. If He just gave us the gospel and took away everybody else in our life, we would have more to praise God for than we can ever do in a lifetime. But instead, he heaps on us loved ones and children and family. 
and skills and abilities to impact people in particular ways. It's grace upon grace. And when that thing tries to climb over you, you must put on gratefulness. And you will find that it will flee from you. This, brothers and sisters, is the abundant life. This is what will set you on to your mission to say, I can use the three circles here. If you put on gratefulness, it will turn the cloudy day into a sunny day so that you can see what God has called you to be. Let's finish the race in the fullness of grace and in faith. Listen, God is good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness today. If you took us all home this afternoon, you would only be giving us our heart's desire. But God, you have seen fit to leave us here. And so we want to use it. We want to wring it out, Lord, like a wash rag. Lord, to squeeze out the goodness like, like a fruit, Lord. God, help us to use our lives that way. Lord, there's a lot we may need to repent of this morning. Be it apathy. Be it entitlement. Be it ungratefulness. God, if that's us as believers, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a place of repentance. And then bring us to the table. Lord, there could be some in here today or some watching online that has never put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give them the gift of repentance at this moment. Show them who you are, God. That they may see you for who you are and turn to you that they might be saved. God, there's people that's oceans of them that we love and they're in our families, they're in our workplaces they sit in those little desks day after day in the schools God would you bring salvation, would you use us God through the normal everyday things that we do and the decisions that we make to put us in right in front of them for the sake of the gospel Oh, God, forgive us when we neglect the opportunities that you put in front of us every day and not use them for your glory. Lord, I open up our mouths and give a reason for the hope that's within us. God, make it so. Bring us to repentance. Give us the confidence and assurance that comes from knowing that we are loved and that we are safe and that you are good. May we enjoy you now as we roll around in the goodness of God, as we come to the table, as we are able in generosity to bring offerings. It's simply an expression of how we feel about you and how we know you feel about us. God, do your work in us. Do your work in this church, God. Pray for those that are watching online that are suffering even now. Oh God, would you fill them with the goodness of your grace now. That they may worship you no matter where they find themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.